everybody, and welcome to the Governance Evaluator webinar insight series. And how exciting we have so many people with us today, and we're really looking forward to a great discussion today. And our special guest today is Brendan Moore. Brendan is the General Manager of Member Services with Leading Age Services Australia, LASER. And I have the privilege of working with Brendan. We work in partnership providing governance services to LASER members. So, Brendan, a big welcome to you today. Thank you, Fee, and a pleasure to be joining you and all the uh, participants to discuss this really important topic. Looking forward to it. Terrific. So our really important topic today, everybody, is the importance of organisation-wide governance. And why we call this our Insights webinar series is because what Brendan and I are going to share with you today is the insights that we've gathered over 2020 in relation to the importance of organisation-wide governance. So, Brendan, I had a lot of fun putting this discussion together with you today. So let's start with you because guess what, everybody? Brendan was a rower. Surprise, surprise. So take us through your analogy and how does rowing associate with governance? It's a long bow, but uh, I hope the audience will forgive me for drawing that long bow. It was an interesting revelation reading a quote from a post on LinkedIn the other day from Julie Garland McClellan, uh, as you can see on this screen here. A board is a synthetic person, a legal chimera. It has a personality and it learns and grows. And the really important part here to draw the analogy is it is far more than the sum of the individual skills of each director. So the parallel here to rowing, which if you'll indulge me, uh, audience, is as you can see in the picture on the left there, you have a number of athletes all in their own boats, all rowing their own race, all going as fast as they can individually. And the speed of those boats will not go faster than much more than 15 to 20 kilometres an hour. Whereas if you harness the power of all of those individuals into a single boat that you can see on the right-hand side, which is known as an eight, that's the fastest boat you can get. And they can go about 25 to 30 kilometres an hour, so much faster than an individual working on their own. They'll get to the finish line much quicker, but they've got to be working together. And each person in that boat has a really specific role. Uh, they need to know their role. They need to know the roles of the other athletes in that boat as well, including the little chap at the back has a very important role, which people often misunderstand and misinterpret. But they are still individuals, and I think that's something you can't lose sight of. So when I was thinking about this presentation about the whole of organisational governance and then some of the, if you like, the softer um, things that we talk about in terms of how people need to work together, that lessons from my past when I was rowing and I also coached rowing for a number of years, that real harmony and that teamwork and the alignment of purpose, and I think we'll talk about that a little bit today, Fee, is really important that each person knows the end destination, obviously the finish line, you want to get there as quick as possible in the rower's case, The boards need to know that as well. What's their end destination? What's their higher purpose? What's their goal? What are they trying to achieve? And, and how is each of those people contributing to that? How am I contributing to that as an individual with, on that board and having a really strong sense of that? And it's also important to note there that learning and growth as well. Those eight oarsmen that you see in that boat, I believe it is the US Olympic eight. At one point, those eight men could not row. And they didn't, they didn't, you don't 
get, um, you know, you're not born and you suddenly know. <laughs> you learn, you grow, you develop uh, and you pursue your skills and you get better and you learn from good people like coaches uh, and the athletes around you or the directors around you in our case. So I thought it was a pretty appropriate analogy and also a great way to start the conversation mm. about this sense of being an individual but also this importance of the collective. I think you're right, Brendan. I think it's that team of experts leading to become an expert team. Mm. And that's pretty much where we've always been focused, isn't it, Brendan? When you're looking at governance, we've been focusing on the board. We've been thinking we've got to build this team. But I think coming out of 2020, you and I both thought, wait a minute, and we've actually come to the conclusion that this next slide is actually probably what it's all about. <laughs> and I'm glad I never coached one of these, <laughs> but it, it is absolutely has changed. So it's mm. not just the board anymore. So it, it is a much broader view now that we've started learning from our interactions with a number of organisations and particularly within the aged care sector where obviously my focus has been. The expectations of organisations operating in the aged care sector is very much that, that if you like, governments cascades throughout the organisation, right up to that sharp end of the boat where the consumers are. But it doesn't just go straight from the board to the consumers. There's obviously the two components in between the executive and the team. And so a lot of our um, interactions with organisations this year, I suppose it's been revelatory for us, but really important to see how important executives are to the functioning of the board and supporting them to do their activity. But also um, increasingly seeing that from the regulator's perspective, that expectation that all these seats in the boat here know something about. And that, that's something that we've certainly detected and been encouraging amongst the aged care industry is for that board to have that line of sight down the boat, even though they're facing the wrong way. <laughs> A rowing joke there. Um, they have that line of sight right through the organisation down to the consumer and they're hearing the feedback coming back uh, up to the board by the team, by the executive. And so there's a real two-way flow of information going through this uh, organisation and that's contributing to a whole of organisation-wide governance approach. And look, I think you're right, Brendan, and, and, and I would agree. We, we were quite taken aback because we've always focused on the board and, of course, this, this picture I think sums it up beautifully because in actual fact, when everybody gets it together on this boat, it can go like anything. But what everybody who we've ever worked with would tell you, it's difficult to get it together. It, mm. it really is, because you can imagine just one oar in the wrong place and <laughs> I would probably say that that boat is, uh, from my coaching experience, that is unrowable. That's probably also, um, I suppose, demonstrating the degree of difficulty, if we'll steal an analogy mm. from another sport, a degree of difficulty here in terms of getting that organisation-wide governance right through this mm. from board, executive team, consumer. It's very difficult. So we don't ever, you know, underestimate the challenge that uh, organisations are confronting in this particular area of achieving organisation-wide governments. It is yeah. not easy, um, but it should be strived for. Yeah, uh, no, I agree. Yeah. I, I entirely agree. So this year, I think you and I have come across a couple of big elements that probably we'd like to share with everybody today that I think were the main things that led us to really get this view of organisation-wide governance, the importance of it. 
And the things that make up governance organisation-wide are two areas. So the first area that I think you and I have always agreed on is that it's all about corporate governance. So I think we've, you know, come out of the stalls focusing on these areas of your classic strategy, finance, risk, all of those top things, uh, those ASX and ACNC principles, stewardship, duty care, due diligence. So when we talked about governance, even at the executive and the management level, we thought, okay, these are the things that you should know. But I actually think it's really interesting because we've worked out there is another key element to organisation-wide governance as well. And this is very much on the back of our work and, again, in aged care, but very much true in health too, Brendan. Yeah, and that you can see here a slight reworking of it, if you like, and that importance of the, the sector-specific knowledge in our mm. country talking about clinical governance. And from the perspective of the aged care industry, I think that has been an area that both our regulator and the Royal Commission that has just recently concluded has found some, if you like, systemic weaknesses within the uh, way aged care organisations have been governed. And they've also, going across the other side, looked at culture. And Mm. so particularly in terms of organisation-wide governance, the the push is on society-wide but certainly within the aged care industry, and I, I think other industries will have either been through it and there'll be more to come for them, but certainly the openness, transparency and accountability, that three-word, it'll probably get acronym, but that three-word openness, transparency and yeah. accountability uh, model that really contributes to the culture is one where I think the organisations, uh, governing bodies really should be focusing on in terms of their efforts in 2021 to be either ahead of the curve or uh, at least try to stay on top of the wave that is breaking upon them. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think this is a real eye-opener for me, and I think actually our work related to Standard 8 really helped me understand this, that, that you don't just want to pass accreditation, you actually want a culture of continuous review and development, and that relates to these things. So you can't just say it relies on the board, it's actually organisation-wide these key things matter. So, and so everyone, everyone has to be buying into that. For you, yeah, um, yeah, you're right, at every level. Yeah, and that goes back to the uh, previous rowing. But I did hear uh, a sage piece of advice from our regulator that, uh, you know, if you do get knocked off your axis in any sort of way around organisation, why just keep coming back to the engagement piece? So if yes. you are getting the consumer engagement piece right, then the other thing should start to flow out from there. If you have a wobble around your culture, refocus on the consumer. If your clinical governance is off, refocus on the consumer. If your risk settings are a bit challenged, focus on the consumer again. So always come back to your purpose. Why do you exist? And it is around your consumer. So that engagement with your uh, customers is something that the regulator said, but also um, some of the consumer peak bodies that operate within aged care as well have also been trumped in that message. And it's it's by no means a bad one. It's a, a sage piece of advice. I think that's really helpful to come back to that and get make sure everyone's focused on that. Mm. So my recollection with you over 2020 and what we talked about getting ready for our catch-up today is that there's a couple of really big ones that have actually really stood out that have helped us understand that organisation-wide need And I think the first one relates to culture of continuous review and development. And it's about 
don't just think about passing accreditation. Now, this applies, Brendan, across all of the sectors mm. that we work in. It, it's about whether you call it accreditation or whatever it is, it's about the standards that you are expected to meet. And it's about not just having a big, huge effort and passing that. It's about it being able to be available, to be looked at at any point in time. And I guess the aged care standard eight, what the Commission has said about that is they're actually looking for a culture of organisation-wide focus on this, not just at the board. And I guess the other huge thing that has really stood out to us is the assurance for risk. And this has been the number one reason not only directors but management have been staying awake at night. And I think what you and I have found is this sort of mirror when we've worked with the boards and then we've worked with management and the executives, they're all feeling the same pain and the same worry. Yeah, a couple of observations on that one uh, is the the first bullet point I'll start from there, the pass accreditation anytime. That is certainly an expectation. I mean, we still get asked at laser by um, both executives, directors calling up and concerned, do we we have to be compliant every day? Yeah, yeah, you do. That is is the expectation of the regulator that 365 days a year, your organisation is running a compliant organisation. The standards are generally tried to be portrayed as a minimum standard that you should be seeking to obviously pass and then exceed. So there's a little bit of a tension here that directors need to straddle that ongoing compliance mindset of being compliant every day with that culture of improvement. So... It's not enough to just have a culture of continuous improvement and say that's okay to get the regulator off our backs. You actually need to be compliant and then also be seeking to improve. Uh, Those two things need to happen in that order. You can't try to improve to be compliant, although if you're not, please do. And then the last point around the assurance for risk, uh, there's an interesting recommendation put forward in the Aged Care Royal Commission report that directors may need to be providing attestations of service quality and care. And so I think a few more directors have been reaching for the valerian to aid sleep after reading that because that I think will cause a few concerns uh, in terms of how do you truly know. And so another piece of advice that one of the um, CEOs of a, a laser member said that it shouldn't scare you. To provide an attestation should not scare you. You should have that level of confidence in the business now. If you don't, then you probably don't have your systems, processes, reporting, monitoring. All those settings are probably not right. So start to get that assurance now before attestation keeps you awake even further in a couple of months' time potentially. Exactly. And it's and it's what to focus on and to look at is really important. So I guess what we've discovered, and again, this is probably mostly about aged care, but interestingly, when we work in health, in all those other areas, these things apply exactly. So when you're looking at your organisation-wide governance issues, and as Brendan just said, how you, you actually need to be confident and be assured You do need to make sure that organisation-wide, what's our consumer engagement processes and systems? And now I can hear a lot of directors going, but we don't want to become too operational. No, you don't, but you actually need to know that the systems are in place and the feedback is coming back up. But what we've discovered is a lot of 
feedback isn't going back and it's what you call the feedback loop. And so how do boards be assured is that, yes, information comes up, but what information is going back? What good questions are going back? How is that happening? And, and that's getting back to that example I gave before, the which we'll get to next. But if you're not providing feedback to consumers who have given you feedback, then you're also not being accountable to them. And it's a one-way flow of communication. So in the PR speak, it needs to be a genuine dialogue. That needs to be a two-way flow of information. And you need to be showing accountability uh, and openness uh, and responsiveness. And uh, that comes from the board setting that tone from the top around this is how we are going to uh, engage with our customers. I think so. And then encouraging it to happen at every level. Hmm. The next area that's incredibly important to have oversight of is what is our culture like? And is it being led not just by the board? There's a lot of rhetoric around the board leads the culture, but every level leads the culture executive, management, every level, and it's the staff on the ground who are doing the work who experience whether or not that's true. And uh, it's an interesting one, though, isn't it? Staff are very attuned to what's called cognitive dissonance, where they might hear one thing but experience another. And so when you do sort of see all the bright, shiny mission, vision, value statements and you're told this is the way you should be treated within the organisation, but that doesn't reflect your own experience. And yeah, that does contribute to cognitive dissonance. And highly likely, it's also contributing to poor uh, workplace productivity because you've got staff that are not engaged. And that certainly is an issue across age care. I'm aware that there's been some research done a couple of years ago in a major workforce study that found significant levels of disengagement. Uh, and that comes back to culture. I think that's fantastic. Actually, I just have to share with everyone, um, got some fantastic notes. And in the Bush Nursing Centres, do you know they actually already sign an Anastasia annually, which is fantastic. Yeah, um, I'm aware of that, Anne. So thank you for popping that into the yeah, chat. Yeah, uh, really It's obviously good. happening in some industries already, and it speaks to my point. It should not be feared. Brace that and get ready for it, I would suggest. And also we've got some support that, yes, the, the Commission actually does say that we do need to feed back. And it is not a bad thing that that feedback actually uh, and response does happen all of those different governance levels. Mm. The next area that we need to have oversight and be assured about is that we actually understand, first and foremost, we know what our top risks are. And it's not just enough to know that at the board committees, at the board, it must be at all levels. And again, it needs to be the latest sector top risk, not just the same old risk year in, year out. And I think you and I have seen an extraordinarily good example of this this year, Brendan, with the choice versus best safe practice in aged care. Really yeah. interesting. Yeah, look, it is a really interesting area. It's one of my, uh, if you like, personal uh, issues. I used to work at what is now called Commenter Australia. And so the, the issue around dignity of risk is another way of describing it. For people with dementia particularly, I've also worked in a disability department. So for people with a disability as well, anywhere where you're dealing with vulnerable people, basically, you're straddling this issue around choice versus or safe practice. 
but also throwing in the issue that some staff face as well is their own professional obligations and duty to do the right thing by evidence or a code of conduct. So those things can really uh, challenge your workforce in terms of that balance between allowing um, your clients to make choices that they want to make and continue to exercise choices because that's also a, a key component of uh, a human rights-based approach to allow people to keep making choices and don't deny them the dignity of doing so. So it's certainly an area in aged care where we're um, seeing some challenges around that. We're also witnessing what's been going on in the disability sector as well, just keeping an eye on things over there because that's also probably around 10 to 15 years ahead of us, I generally say, in terms of this concept of choice versus best slashes. Exactly, exactly. And organisation-wide structures and it's really important that everybody actually understands what they are and in this case, we're talking about organisation-wide structures for governance um, and also what is the board's role in this? And we've had a lot of feedback about that there is a quite often a disconnect between what people know what the board's role is and how that all works. Yeah, I've often uh, made a joke recently about uh, Bismarck once said that uh, you shouldn't see politics and sausages being made and I sort of suggested perhaps you could add governance to that. And, and look, it is, it, it, it's kind of a, for a lot of people, I'm not really that interested. I don't need to know about those kind of things. But uh, if you go back to our initial slides, what we're um, finding is that there is certainly an expectation that more needs to be known by people throughout the organisation about the performance of the board, what decisions they're making, how they're exercising their governance responsibilities and how it's driving the organisation forward. Now, what is the board's contribution to the achievement of purpose? Because they are the guardians in a lot of not-for-profits, they're the guardians of purpose. So uh, exactly. really, yeah. really important. And then, of course, there is the sector-specific piece. So obviously we've talked about these are pretty much universal things, these four points here, but that sector-specific piece is crucial. Everybody needs to know whether you're in a, a school, an independent school, it's around safety, student and staff safety. If you're in aged care, it's around those clinical and dignity areas and likewise in health, bush nursing centres or whatever. So we've also discovered that there's a real disparity in this, in that quite often your clinical or your sector-specific skilled staff have quite a different knowledge or a different understanding of what the organisation-wide framework is compared to each other. And, yeah, we, we found that really interesting. So that's a, a big opportunity there for improving on that. The other things that we've found some real insight into is the leadership on this is really interesting. When we get in and talk to not just boards but actually executives and management at different levels of management, it is really interesting how people know what their own role is but they're not specifically aware of other roles and, and what is their role within the organisation-wide governance framework. And therefore, it makes it very hard. Everybody, in other words, is rowing in opposite directions or only rowing in their own direction. 
Or, or they're trying to jump out and get into a single skull and uh, march to the beat of their own drum. So, yeah, it, it, it's back to that rowing analogy. It is obviously critical that uh, everyone has a shared understanding of what everyone's role is in that organisation and how they're contributing to the performance of the organisation, how they're contributing to the achievement of objectives. So, um, yeah, really important. I think that's probably our, one of our key insights to take away is that shared understanding is absolutely needed. And the other real key insight that we've got for people is that what do staff need to know on the ground at the cold face? Well, what they'll be uh, expected to know is what was their experience. So that's a really important point as well, which means that middle management need to be supported a lot in helping implement governance frameworks. Yeah, and the, the regulator, I, I believe, in uh, aged care is also in their site inspections asking questions of staff and they're trying to garner that sort of information about how responsive organisations are. So they'll be interviewing the staff saying, if you raise concerns, do you know who deals with that? Do you know what the response timeframes are? Do you get responses? So that's speaking again to that responsiveness and accountability to feedback within an organisation. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's an important one to in, ensure your staff are aware of how government is, shall we say, tentacles are spreading through the organisation and governance is being brought to light so they can answer the questions of regulators when the uh, assessors mm. when they arrive. And know that they won't be expected to quote chapter and verse no. the policies and procedures, but they will, hand on heart, need to just be truthful about what they experience and the support that they do or don't get. Mm, absolutely. The other piece is around communication for decisions and feedback, and this is absolutely fascinating, and I'm sure no one will be surprised by this, but the further you are from the epicentre, we've discovered the less that people know about the governance framework. I'm not talking about people not knowing their jobs. That's mm. not what this is about. It's about that piece that's above your job. How does things get reported up and down? that allow the management of risk to happen. And the other huge thing, which I think you've already alluded to, Brendan, is what do you need to know at each level? Mm. Um, and, yeah, and it's, look, it's, it's not too much of a surprise, to be perfectly honest, that the greater the distance from the epicentre, the, the less well-known uh, it is. If you think of stone being thrown into a, a lake long, the ripples get smaller the further out you go from where that rock was thrown into the pond. If the board is the rock, it's the centre of that tidal wave of ripples coming out. By the time you get to the, the frontline staff in a lot of organisations, they're very, very removed from uh, the board. But as we sort of saying beforehand, there needs to be communication, as we've said, about what is the board making decisions about and what is the impact on the staff in terms of their job performance, their uh, day-to-day activity, and how it, how is their life, if you like, being influenced by the decisions that are made perhaps once a month by the board. Mm, it's very interesting. And, of course, we've already talked about the feedback loop. Mm. And the other thing that we've observed is, not a lot of organisations are using what they call omni-channel. So that is all sorts of different communication about the governance framework to capture the different professions and the different levels. And it's not just omni, it's also the, the repetition effect. So uh, 
a former boss of mine used to tell me about an unsavoury thing called the vomit principle, which is that you have something so many times you feel like vomiting, it is only then that the audience has actually heard what you're trying yeah. to say. So it's, uh, apologies to all of those uh, participants joining us this afternoon to hear that vomit principle, but it stuck with me because mm. it does actually give you that sort of real clarity about you've got to say something over and over and over and over again and it will start sinking in. So boards need to also you know, pursue that omni-channel approach to communicating what they're up to, but they need to do it frequently ad nauseum. so it sinks in. I think that's absolutely true. And look, one of the best things that also has happened for you and I over the last year is we've actually been shown some great solutions. Oh, my goodness. Talk about, you know, that's the thing that I've come away from 2020 and all the work we've done and, and the work we've done this year already is that I feel like we have a great lot of innovation and a great lot of really great things that everybody's doing. So our discussion about organisation-wide governance isn't saying it's all broken. We're just saying it's actually important as a focus. It's, it's not just focusing on the board. But, gosh, we've seen some good things. So I might start because I love this one. Mm. This is about alignment to solving problems. And it's it's about, you know, how I talked earlier about these silos of different, you know, professions like the financial people not knowing what the clinical governance people's role is. It's interesting because so too do we find that there's silos within the board's committees, you know, the clinical governance committee or the quality committee or the child and, and teacher safety committee knows and discusses very different things to the finance committee. And we've come across some great examples. One incredible health service told me the other day about this fabulous solution that every time they had a big decision they had to take a recommendation to the board, they actually bought the chairs of the finance, the audit and risk and the quality committee together to, to always give a combined recommendation, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. And it's a, and that could happen at every level of the organisation to, to come up with combined solutions. Which is a little bit like your, your cabinet in politics. So I suspect probably being uh, a, 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 luminous, a luminary from politics who's been sitting on uh, that health service. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. It's very much aligned to the cabinet model where, you know, the various departments provide briefs on a particular matter and that's given to their respective ministers and they, you know, mm. they understand the issue from their perspective as it's debated at cabinet because it is such a significant issue. It, it goes to cabinet. It's not just a department issue. No, it's, it's a really good idea. And, mm. and the next area um, is something that I've become really passionate about, and it's the alignment for corporate and sector governance knowledge and skills. And this is about it's as important for your executive and management to understand governance and, in particular, organisation-wide governance as it is for the board because and Brenda and I'll talk about that a little bit more in depth in a minute. But those pieces of education happening on both sides is we have discovered crucial. Otherwise, everyone's speaking a different language to each other. Yeah, and I had the pleasure of delivering a workshop yesterday to a lazy member in Queensland. Where at the end of it, the president was very, or oh, the chair was very complimentary about 
how important it was for them to gather as directors, management, school management, and receive, you know, education workshop around corporate governance, the standard ACE, uh, as it's known, organisational governance in aged care. Uh, but also coming back to a customer-centric view is where I began that workshop. So that, that was also important for, the, if you like, the difference between uh, those who work in uh, the front line and those who support the front line. There's a famous quote, if you're, if you're not serving a customer, your job is to serve customers. Uh, everyone is in the business of your, um, if you like, your model of uh, service and why you exist. No, exactly. I mean, that sort of does cover customer and staff feedback. But the other really good thing that we've seen is an awful lot of excellent work around helping organisations across all of the different levels to understand what is the governance framework around those five key areas we've talked about today, but what is each other's contribution to purpose as well. And we've seen, you know, some great work being done on organisations actually working out, well, what do you need to know at each level? Because you clearly need to know more at an executive level than you would perhaps the middle management level. And you do need to do the work on discovering what is the difference. And we've also seen some great communication strategies and some excellent roadshows where using fantastic technology, boards have actually done little videos, CEOs have gone around sites or run roadshows and taken questions and explained that this governance and it's really been quite amazing, some of the things we've seen. Yeah, and just a bit of advice on that one is that, so if you think about uh, your own experiences of presentation, you remember stories, you don't necessarily remember data. So when you are, as leaders in your organisations, you're going out doing those roadshows or you are communicating uh, within your organisation, tell stories. It gets much better cut through and people remember that. They hold on to those stories, whereas the data... It's lost in a sea of information. Actually, Brendan, that's exactly right. In fact, we got that feedback quite a bit, didn't we, that mm. if you want to teach the different levels of staff what, you know, particularly are some of the risks, tell them a customer story or, mm. or even ask a customer to come and talk about what it feels like from their perspective. Yeah, absolutely right. That really mm. was a very big point. And I guess this is a really interesting one that we both discovered and I, and I it's super simple, but it actually is really important. This is about how to equip both boards and management or executives and management to help be a part of providing assurance for risk. So I think the director's skills and experience is a crucial piece. And this is about actually directors knowing the top risks for the sector they're in. And it doesn't matter which sector you're in, this is different to your corporate governance knowledge. That slide we showed before with all those key areas, strategy and everything, this is about knowing your top risks. And it's, and a lot of directors say to us, but I, but I don't want to be a nurse or a doctor or I don't want to be a teacher sitting here. And, and it's not about that. It's about knowing about your top risks and why. Because you do actually need to sense them as they go past you at the board table or when you read the information you're given. 
You do actually need to understand how to analyse data, trends and reports, and you really do need to start to understand what are the right questions to ask. And you really do need to have the skills of how to feedback at organisation level and to consumers. And this is the new challenge that Brendan and I are excited to put up to boards. We say, work it out. How, how are you going to feedback? How are you going to do this? And importantly, you need to, as a director, generate insights and set strategy because the most important role you've got is to know when to be strategic, when to drop down into the weeds and when to get out again. And, Brendan, I'll let you talk to the mirror piece. So we looked at management and executives and guess what we found? Yeah, well, just if I can quickly just go back to the director's point, again, just to reference the Aged Care Royal Commission, the commissioner's report from one of the hearings, I think it was Hobart, they came up with this really simple adage, directors need to know the business of their business. And yes. they found that many directors did not know the business of aged care. So that all those top four points essentially is understanding the business, get an understanding of the business that you're in. But the same uh, goes, if you like, from executive and management skills and experience. Uh, they need to understand how governance works in order to support good governance to happen because executives and management do have a really important role to support directors to discharge their responsibilities properly. For many directors in human services industries, they are volunteer directors. And so it's a really challenging role to be a director with a lot of responsibilities and accountabilities. And you are reliant on management for better, for worse, uh, in some cases as uh, also the Royal Commission. So you've got to know the top risks as well as the many organisational risks uh, because you do have that deeper, if you like insights and the day-to-day -day understanding of what's going on in the business. Uh, you need to be reporting on those. And the really important, I think, we need to see, if it's not already happening in your organisation, you need to be trending that information. You need to be um, setting uh, the benchmark or health and parameters. So high low marks, you know, acceptable tolerance ranges, that needs to be in conversation with the board. But you also need to be providing a bit of a commentary to the directors around that. Enable to support them to, and make a decision uh, and obviously then communicate that. Management also have to have an anticipation feeler as well. So understanding at the governance level, well, what kind of information they're going to be needing this month, next month, year down the track, that kind of thing. But at the operation, what other um, issues are occupying us from day to day? The uh, second last point is being able to answer the question. That can be challenging for and, uh, management to be able to answer all the board's uh, questions. I think often I hear the frustration from many executives that doesn't have any questions. They'd be happy to get a question, even if it was a question. Uh, but, yeah, that's a challenge for uh, the executive being able to answer those questions uh, and in a timely manner that aids decision-making. And lastly, we keep coming back to this point of feedback. And so often executives and management can be that first port of call uh, for feedback to the consumers into receiving it, but also the delivers the um, message back, they're communicating the outcome and the decision. And executives and management are that also a role that they have to play. Uh, also sometimes need to drop down to the weeds, I think. Uh, and, We've seen that really 2020 in aged care, particularly in Victoria and our Melbourne 
uh, colleagues. I'm based in Sydney, so our dear colleagues down in Melbourne who went through uh, a number of outbreaks of COVID in um, aged care homes, and that really forced them to be absolutely hands-on in um, celebrated occasions where the uh, was um, staff uh, getting old nursing hat back on and doing the, the work of the um, staff because they just weren't staffed around. So that's really dropping down, not into the weeds, I would say, into essential care. <laughs> yes. No, that's, that's a real mirror. Um, so basically, overall, Brendan, the outcomes that um, we need for good governance organisation-wide, take us through these. All right, so starting from the top, I suppose this is our, our presentation in a nutshell in five bullet points. Take it away. So you've got a broader understanding of governance beyond the board. That's the point that we started with with that a very elongated rowing boat. It goes through your executive. It goes through your frontline staff. It goes down to the, the customers. So that broad understanding has to be there. Obviously, the, the nature of the understanding will obviously just change slightly as you get further away in that sort of ripple in the pond model. And then... Conversely, boards have very difficult jobs and we never resolve from that fact. It is difficult to be a director. It is difficult to attain high levels of board performance. And so management has a really, really important role in being able to support the individual directors and the collective of the board to perform better. And that comes back to uh, these next two points, which is your shared responsibility, shared understanding. So everyone has a clear understanding of what their role is in enabling good governance across uh, the whole organisation, then you're in a much better place. And then obviously if people are taking responsibility for that and no one's, shall we say, duck shoving their responsibility and everyone's performing to the level that you need them, both the directors and the executive management staff all the way cascading through your organisation, then what you'll have is an organisation that is absolutely storming and performing. And it comes back to that final point, Clarity, clarity and alignment. And <laughs> we're back to our fabulous rowing boat. And just to reiterate that point, it is uh, a whole team effort right through the, uh, the boat, as we say, and uh, looking for the board to lead the organisation to reach this state because, again, it does come back to the board. Boards have to lead. Uh, they have to drive the organisation towards the achievement of its purpose and to a destination that they're seeking from a strategic perspective. I think that's so true. So what a fantastic discussion today, Brendan. Thank you so much. It, it's, so, it's, it's my absolute mission this year with you to focus on organisation-wide governance and I think it's going to make a big difference and I, I really look forward to being part of this movement. And, Brendan, was there any questions in particular that you get from people, Brendan, about these about organisation-wide governance. Have you got a view about the influence of donors on board decision-making and governance? So that's in the um, not-for-profit sector. Mm, mm. I, I, yes, yeah. good well, question. I was only going to say that donors are just one of many stakeholders that boards have to engage with, seek to understand their motivations, what their agenda may be, and balance that um, with what the organisation is trying to achieve. And obviously, ensuring that conflicts of interest are either declared or eliminated through good process and systems. So, uh, yeah, I'm not, not too sure what more to say about donors and their influence. Yes, uh, well, look, I suppose what I can add to that, because I'm on the... I'm the chair of a steering committee of a, 
large foundation that's coming together at the moment. And it is absolutely crucial with donors that you have the right policies in place so that donors know when they give what is the extent or the limit of their influence. And I think that in this case, it comes back to the good governance around the policies, donor policies and procedures that you have in place. And if you do have an issue with that, it's really important to have a look at some of those policies and make sure that your policy covers you so that you actually are not impacted badly by that. Mm. Got another question here. Within the governance framework, I always think it's a good idea to have all meetings connected and the flow of communication from meetings to the board where relevant, another level of the governance framework or layer. I think that's really good. Brendan, you probably agree with that. That's about the information freely flowing back to everybody. Yeah, I suppose the only cautionary tale there is beware of volume and ensuring that your board is not overloaded with papers from the whole vast array. Really, you've got to drill down to the messages around what, so what, now what to enable the directors to make a decision. Don't don't be providing papers to them for the sake of providing papers or protecting your derriere. Absolutely terrific. Well, thank you, Brendan. Thank you so much. Um, it's been an absolutely terrific discussion today. And it was great to get those questions because this is a really important discussion. And this discussion needs to be had not just at the board, but the executive management, everybody within your organisation. This is our first chance to talk to you all about this. And I welcome, absolutely welcome anyone who would like to continue to chat about it, continue to learn about our insights. So, Brendan, as always, it has been fantastic talking with you. It's absolutely fantastic working with you. And I'm so excited that we were able to share with our wonderful governance community the amazing insights that we've had the privilege of learning from the great organisations we work with. Yeah, thank you, Fee, and obviously thank you to all those organisations that have uh, placed their trust in us to work with them. It's been a pleasure working with them as well. I would agree. Thank you. And thank you very much, everybody, for coming today. It's been absolutely wonderful having people from all around Australia and we look forward to staying in touch with everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you.